could not help but uh, think of this verse as we were singing together. Romans 15, verse 5 and 6. I think these verses describe what we have just experienced this morning in our time of worship and especially in our worship and song. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have lifted up one voice. We have lifted up soprano, alto, bass, and tenor, but we have lifted up one voice in praise to God because we are a church of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. And may God be praised because of that. We're glad you're here today. There is a word from the Lord for us this morning, and it is found in his book, The Bible. Today we're going to sharpen our axe. You get it? We're going to sharpen our axe, so turn to the book of Acts, and we'll be in the eighth chapter of Acts in just a moment. Well, today we send off a group of our youngsters to, uh, to Bowles Home, known now as Arms of Hope, but to this church for many years, many decades, known as Bowles Home, and these kids are going to be working this week. Now, you think about it. 107 degree heat index. They're going to be working and they're going to be serving and they're going to be out in the heat and our prayers are with them. Uh, it's going to be a great week for them as they uh, get acquainted with Bowles Home and the work of that great place and the things that are going on there and the people that make it happen and probably some of the youngsters that live there. Uh, I have a soft spot in my heart for our children's homes that take care of people who are too young and inexperienced and immature to take care of themselves. My mom grew up in Potter's Orphan's Home in Bowling Green, Kentucky from age four through high school, and I, I still uh, re recall that and the, the things that my mother shared about those experiences, and uh, to know that we had, even back in those days, places where churches could send support and send help and works could be accomplished that could not be accomplished individually in our homes or in our local churches. And I am a living uh, proof of the fact that that kind of thing was very significant in the life of our family and the providence of God led my mother there as a small child and our lives have never been the same since. Every time a preacher prepares a message, he has to have a target in mind, an audience in mind, a congregation in mind, a person in mind, a group of people in mind. And today, I'm aiming at two particular groups of folks. I'm aiming at folks who are saved, and I'm aiming at folks who are lost. And the fact is, those of us who are saved are going to be the ones who need to take a message like this to those who are lost, to people who do not know Jesus. And so today is kind of a review for those of us who have been Christians for a while, but it is also a reminder to those of us who have never claimed Jesus as our Lord and who have never committed our life to him that it's a very simple way of coming to Jesus and getting to know him as Savior. 
If you are a Christian, take this message and share it with someone else. Maybe it's your children or your grandchildren. I preached uh, on this theme not long ago in Texarkana, and I remember one of the elders there came out. He's been an elder for 42 years. And after this message, he came and he said, John, you know, that is the very passage of Scripture that an elder sat down with me at my kitchen table and opened the Bible, and we talked about that passage, and it was that very thing that led me to understand how to become a Christian. It works, folks. Open Bibles work. And when we open our mouths to share that message, as we're going to reiterate in our study this morning, I promise you God blesses the results. Now, in Acts chapter 8, we're going to read about uh, four personalities involved in this story. We're in verses 26 through 40. It's not the whole chapter, but we want to get the context of this story in mind this morning. This is a story that tells us about a person who was seeking the truth. He's referred to as an Ethiopian eunuch, a nobleman. He was the treasurer of the queen of Ethiopia. He was a very prominent man. He had a high position. And uh, we're going to learn that even though he was going to Jerusalem to worship, which was significant in itself, he was traveling about 1,500 miles, and he was not in an air-conditioned vehicle. He was traveling in a chariot or a carriage, and it was a difficult road, a difficult path, and a long way to go to worship God. He was sincerely seeking the truth and attempting to please God in his life. There is the Ethiopian, but there is also a preacher, and his name is Philip, the evangelist. And Philip uh, is first introduced to us in the sixth chapter of Acts. He was one of those deacons that was chosen by the church in Jerusalem to help people who were in need, specifically the Grecian widows that were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food as they were a large church growing rapidly and there were many needs within that congregation. Philip is going to be used by God to share the story of Jesus. So those are the people. But there are some spiritual beings involved too. There's an angel of the Lord, and there is the spirit of the Lord. And so God worked in a special way to connect the evangelist Philip and the lost person, the truth seeker, the Ethiopian. To get those two together, it was necessary for God to intervene because they were traveling different paths, they were going down different roads. But the time comes when these two are going to get together and have a wonderful conversation that leads to the conversion of a man to Jesus Christ. Well, let's read starting in Acts 8 and verse 26. And we're just going to see some simple steps here that lead people to Jesus as Savior. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road or a deserted place. And he arose and went, and behold, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Well, we've pretty well set the stage for this by introducing these two people. But I want us to see now that something is going to happen once they get together. There is a connection that takes place. 
And Philip is the man that God is going to use to connect this man from Ethiopia to the new way that God has of saving people, of getting people right with him. And it's going to have to do with Jesus. And so in verse 28, here's the first step to the Savior. The Ethiopian was returning and he was sitting in his chariot and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Reading from the prophet Isaiah. Now I want to tell you, as you know, but you have to be reminded from time to time, uh, the Ethiopian didn't have a copy of this book as we know it, the Bible, the Word of God. But he had a copy of the Isaiah scroll. A few years ago, actually when we were living here, Linda and I were able to go to the Bible lands, and there are folks sitting here that went with us, and one of the things that we saw was the museum of the scroll and the book. You'll remember perhaps that in 1947, a young shepherd boy discovered what came to be known as the Dead Sea Scrolls. He was looking for a lost sheep, he threw some rocks down in a cave and he heard some things break and it turned out that those pottery jars were full of ancient scrolls and manuscripts of biblical text. And in three or four of those jars, there was contained the entire copy of the book of Isaiah. Now you look in your Bible and you'll see there are 66 chapters. Now if those chapters are to be written out on a piece of parchment or vellum, about this wide and the words are about this big and they're written handwritten do you realize how long that scroll is the scroll of the book of Isaiah that was discovered dates back to 200 years after the time of Christ it's the oldest complete ancient biblical manuscript that we have of one book in the Old Testament and it would not it would barely fit in the foyer of this church building. And so when they rolled it out, it became the central display of that museum. And you have to walk around in a circle, and behind the glass you see a copy, not the original, because if the original is displayed, the light has an impact on the ink, and eventually it fades out and it's gone. And so all of those Dead Sea Scrolls are kept in darkness and atmospheric control. But if you look at that copy and you begin to walk around that great circle, you realize this man from Ethiopia was reading the prophet Isaiah. And he was not reading Isaiah chapter 1, he was reading Isaiah chapter 53, which tells me this man was, he was something. He was prominent. He probably at least had some wealth or at least the queen had enough wealth to provide him with a scroll of Isaiah, but he did not know what he was reading. Step number one, to help lead someone, if you need to come to the Lord this morning, I'll tell you it starts with this, an open book. The Bible, opening the Word of God. So many religious conversations today begin with every source other than the Bible. And some folks are so closed-minded, they don't want to know what the Bible has to say, or they're not interested in the Bible because they may not be coming from the same perspective that we're coming from. That is, that this is an inspired scripture. This is God-breathed. This has been given to us by God. 
and has been revealed to us and provided for us down through the centuries as the word of God. And so he was reading what we would say, he was reading the Bible. He was reading a section of the Old Testament. Philip gets up to the, cho- the chariot, and it says in verse 30, when Philip had run up, he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and he said, do you understand what you're reading? Now listen to this. This is very important, because sometimes if we're getting involved or want to get involved with someone and have a conversation about the Bible, we want to begin immediately to tell them everything we know about the Bible. And that's why some people never open their mouth about Scripture, because some of us just don't know much about the Bible. And we especially don't know book, chapter, and verse, and someone asks us a question and we can't provide an answer. You know, here's what you need to say. If I don't know the answer, I don't know the answer. But together we will try to find it from the Word of God. And so if you want to teach someone, maybe the most important thing to do is don't talk too much. Just ask the right questions. And here's a great question. Do you understand what you're reading? And I will tell you, in most instances, people that I, to whom I've asked that question will have the same response that this Ethiopian had. <laughs> How can I unless someone guides me. A lot of folks read the Bible and say, I don't understand what it means. It's like an older gentleman told me one time. He said, you know, when I read the Bible, he said, it's, it's kind of like a puzzle to me. He said, I read a verse, and if I was going to put together a puzzle that had thousands of pieces in it, he said, one of the things that would help me is to turn the box over and look at the picture of what I'm trying to put together. And some people don't have the big picture of what the Bible is about, so they don't know where that piece fits. And here's a man that tells us that's exactly how a lot of folks are. He was reading God's Word, but he didn't understand what he was reading. And so an open mind is important if you have the Bible open. If you're going to open the Word of God, open your mind to be receptive to it. He said, well, how can I or could I unless someone guides me, and so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this, and this is a quotation from Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. I hope that you have a Bible that sets off Old Testament quotations in a different type than the rest of the New Testament text. It just reminds you, sometimes we miss those quotation marks, but When you see uh, in your Bible a passage that's set apart as if it is a quotation, then you recognize here is a New Testament writer quoting from the Old Testament. And that's exactly what's happening here. So Luke, the historian, records for us the section that he was reading. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, Who shall relate his generation for his life is removed from the earth? Question number three is about to come up. Question number one, the preacher asked, do you know what you're reading? Do you understand? Is this clear to you? Question number two was, well, I can't unless someone would guide me about this. And then question number three, this truth seeker asked this one. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself 
or of someone else. Simple rules of interpretation. Who's speaking? To whom is it being said? What is the theme? What's the point? What's being made here? How does this apply to my life? Where does this go in reference to the big picture of the Bible? And the big picture of the Bible, folks, is Jesus. The Bible is the story of Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation. It's the prophecy that Jesus is coming. It's the recognition in the Gospels that he has come. And it is the story through the rest of the New Testament beginning in Acts 1. He's coming again and get ready for him. Jesus himself said of people in his day who were religious, the Jewish folks, they had read the Old Testament. They have actually became kind of lawyers of the law. But Jesus said of his own people, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have life and they do testify of me, but you will not come to me that you might have life. What did Jesus say about the Old Testament? The Old Testament tells about me. Some people think the purpose of Bible study is to accumulate more knowledge. God gave us the Bible not to make us smarter. He gave us the Bible to change our lives. To change our lives through the one that the Bible is all about. And that's Jesus. And so the Jews of the Lord's time, they had read and studied the Old Testament. They had heard it read every Sabbath day. They didn't see Jesus. They missed the point of Scripture. And here's a good example of a Jew or a Jewish proselyte, a black African coming from 1,500 miles away down the Nile River all the way up to Jerusalem. And what is he wanting to know? What's this book talking about? Who is this man describing himself or someone else? Every person who wants to share the story of Jesus longs for someone to ask a question like that. What is this all about? Well, if you have a minute, I'll tell you. And verse 35 says that Philip opened his mouth. We've gone from an open book, the Bible, to an open heart, a mind that's receptive to the truth of God's word, and now someone who is going to be used by God to speak the words that will tell him the story of Jesus. He opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. There is no way for us to know how long this conversation lasted. It didn't last for hours, but it probably lasted a long time as they were traveling down the road. They may have stopped a while, sit under a palm tree somewhere in the shade by an oasis to cool off from their travels on this deserted place. But I do know this. It lasted long enough that Philip shared the essential message of Jesus Christ. He preached Jesus to him. He had to have told about his virgin birth. He had to have told about his perfect life, his sinless life, his great and mighty works, his miracles, his, his perfect teachings of the will of God, all of those things. And he had to have culminated with why Jesus came, not just to be a teacher, not just to be a great philosopher of his time, but to be a teacher sent from God with the truth of God in his heart 
and his willingness to do the will of God and to tell other people how to serve and please God. Certainly, it had to have something to say about the cross, why Jesus came and why he had to die. I don't know exactly how uh, Philip ended this story about Jesus, but he is going to go on uh, down in verse 40, and he's going to keep preaching the gospel to all the cities in that area. He's going to keep telling the good news of Jesus. And so in telling this good news that Jesus had come and that he had lived a perfect life, he had become the sinless sacrifice for man's sin, and Ethiopian, that means even for you. And so as Philip opened his mouth and talked about Jesus, as they went along in verse 36, as they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, now, this New American Standard, I like the exclamation points here. Look! Water! Now, Linda and I on that trip, we traveled through this area, and I want to tell you, that is the way you talk about water. When you're on a, on a bus and they tell you when you cross the Suez Canal, no one will be getting off of the bus for any reason for the next four or five hours until we get into Israel. And when we got into Israel, the first thing we were looking for was water. We weren't even looking for restrooms. We were looking for water. Look, here is some water to satisfy our thirst. But here is a man who realized, here is water that will satisfy my spiritual thirst. What keeps me from being baptized? What prevents me from being baptized? And I can't imagine someone saying, well, why would that question come up? There's only one reason that question would come up, and that is because as Philip preached Jesus, he had to have said something about what Jesus taught about baptism and that those who would follow him and be his disciples were to be baptized for the remission of their sins. They were to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so this man had come to the conclusion there's no need to wait till we get some place or a set a certain date or a certain time. I'm ready to be obedient to the Lord right now, and here is enough water where a baptism can take place. What prevents me from being baptized? Philip said to him, If you believe with all of your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, but went on his way rejoicing. And Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Now there's a little hint prior to this story that tells us that uh, undoubtedly Philip had connected uh, the message of Jesus with baptism. If you'll look in this same chapter in Acts 8, verse 12 and 13, he was in Samaria before the Spirit of the Lord called him down to that road that led from, from Jerusalem to Gaza. And while he was in Samaria, it says in Acts 8 and verse 12, when they believed Philip, preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus, they were being baptized, men and women alike. And even Simon, Simon the magician, Simon the man 
who wanted to buy the gift of the Spirit so he could do strange and weird things that he watched these apostles do, that he could do the same miraculous works they were doing. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. Well, that puts it even in a greater context to know that this just wasn't some kind of a quirk of events that happened, that through this strange conversation out in the middle of nowhere, a preacher would talk to someone and that someone would say at the end of it, well, here's enough water right here. I want to be baptized right now. Here is a man who had opened the book, the Word of God, opened his mind to be receptive to an understanding of that Word, and a preacher who opened his mouth to tell about Jesus, and here then becomes this open heart that says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Great results. The man's converted. He goes on his way rejoicing. What has happened here is the essential steps that lead someone to Jesus. Did the Ethiopian know everything he needed to know? No, but he had become a follower of the Lord. He'd become a disciple of Christ. He had become a Christian. And it was up to him from that point on to mature in the word, to keep reading the prophet Isaiah, to keep learning more about the suffering Savior and the sacrificial Savior, Jesus, the Lamb of God. I want to close with a question this morning. And this is... This is really aimed at someone who has never been baptized. I'm not just trying to get you dunked in water today, but I'm trying to help lead you to Jesus the Savior. Some people get wet, but they don't get Jesus. And what we need today is someone who has never been baptized that has the conviction of heart to say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And with that great, noble confession, be willing to follow Jesus in the waters of baptism and allow his blood to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. It'd be a great day, wouldn't it? It'd be a wonderful thing if we could see some of our kids or grandkids or our mate or a friend who's come to church with us many times decide before this day ends... Now, some of you may feel like I'm putting you on the spot. So if you're not ready right now when we stand and sing this song, but there is still that, that, that aching thought in your heart, you know, I have never done this. I really thought I was a Christian, but I understand you can't be a, there's no such thing in the New Testament as an unbaptized Christian. And so this is the day that could be a day of rejoicing in your own life, a day of new beginnings in Jesus Christ by responding in faith and obedience to the will of God and putting Christ on in baptism. You're not ready right now, I promise you. If someone will come up to me and say, John, I want to be baptized, but I just, I just couldn't come forward in front of all these people, I'll meet you at any time of the day or night, and we'll have water ready. Here's water. <laughs> What hinders you from being baptized? Not a lack of water. I hope it's not a lack of faith. I hope it's not a lack of conviction that you really believe that Jesus is God's Son. And we can assist you in becoming a Christian.
And so as we sing, let's sing with a prayer in our heart that some person will be touched today by the open word of God in such a way that their mind and their heart will be open enough to be receptive to God's will as we stand and sing.